T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Any way you look at it, it's a new day in the Illinois General Assembly. It's a time of change. Of course, there is a new Speaker of the House after a couple of decades under Michael Madigan, but there have been more transitions over the last year or so. One of the most significant is the current Senate Republican leader, Dan McConkie. His is not yet a household name, but this weekend we will get to know him a little better. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Senator Dan McConkie represents northwest suburbs like Barrington, Crystal Lake, Hoffman Estates, and Libertyville, and he's been the senator from the 26th district since 2016. He's an energy consultant with Verde Solutions, a full-service energy consulting firm. Before that, he joined the Army National Guard at 17 and spent nearly a decade in the infantry and military police. As a lawmaker, he's known to fight for balanced budgets, smaller governments, and lower taxes. Those are Republican Party hallmarks. He's the ranking Republican on the Senate Appropriations II Committee, and now he's leading the Senate Republicans. He and his wife live in Hawthorne Woods and have two adult daughters. Um, He is in Springfield, so we're really social distancing, and this interview is being conducted via Zoom conferencing. Senator Dan McConkie, welcome. It's great to be with you today, Craig. Well, I have to ask, what made you want to be the GOP leader in the upper chamber when Democrats continue to hold a uh, nominally veto-proof majority in the legislature? Well, you could always say I love a challenge, right? (laughs) Uh, I, as you mentioned, spent nine years in the military. And, you know, one of the things that they taught us in the Army, uh, you know, I went to to basic training at, at Fort Benning, Georgia, And, you know, one of the things that they taught us was uh, kind of became a personal motto for me, which was adapt and overcome. You know, the the thing that, you know, they teach you whenever you are are going through uh, infantry training is that, you know, while you you can have the best of plans, those plans tend to go out the window and the first bullet is fired. And, you know, as a result, what you do is you just very much respond and adapt to your situation. And politics is a challenge in the same way of it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle of ideas. It's a struggle of how we're going to kind of lead and manage going forward. Uh, and it's the way in which democracy best functions. And But, it, but it's some of the same principles of being able to be uh, responsive and, and uh, nimble, if you will, is something that I learned a lot in the military and is, is very uh, important. And uh, it, integral part of what we do here in Springfield. Well, what are the positives that you see for Illinois Republicans right now? 
Well, I, I think probably the biggest uh, positive that I could say right now really is where the Illinois public has demonstrated that they are headed, right? We saw this in the last election in which we had uh, the governor went all in over $50 million spent in order to change the way uh, Springfield is able to tax, right? They wanted greater abilities to be able to tax uh, the residents of Illinois to change the rules to make that simpler. And the people resoundingly rejected that. They had to get to 60% in order to adopt that. And what did we see instead? People overwhelmingly fit by 15 percentage points said, no, we don't trust Springfield. We don't uh, trust that Springfield is actually has our best interests at heart. We're not going to give them additional powers. And that I think is really the beginning of the public saying we're interested in a new tack, a new direction, and something that actually um, really puts the people first. Because I don't believe that people thought that that measure put the people of Illinois first. Hmm. Now, um, a few weeks ago, we had Don Tracy, the state GOP chairman, on this program. And he said his primary task is to unite Republicans across the state. And of course, he's dealing with statewide tensions between pro-Donald Trump members and those who want to go in a different direction. Are you, is the legislature immune to that to that kind of thing just because of the uh, the way you all deal with each other and know each other? Or do you have to deal with that even on your turf? So I would say that sometimes, you know, references to national politics or past leaders uh, certainly can come up at times, right? It's it's a reference that is sometimes made. I think I heard it just the other day in a redistricting committee hearing in which, you know, blame over uh, what's happening with the census and census delay and uh, the, the responsiveness of people was laid at Donald Trump's feet. But, you know, there's so there's that political posturing that goes on. But then beyond that, I, you know, we all work uh, together here. Sure, we have different opinions. We're coming from different perspectives. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, people do get along. They do uh, communicate in a manner that's, I think, demonstrates our commitment and interest to policy uh, in, above all else. Does politics come into it? Sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think most people down here are interested in how to move the state ahead, even though we have very different ways in which we envision uh, kind of where the state ought to be and how to get there. Hmm. Now, I want to talk about uh, priorities for, for your side of the island, frankly, for the state as a whole. Um, What's the top of the agenda for the Senate Republicans right now? I'd say the top agenda is how do we make sure that we stem the tide of people that are continuing to leave the state? Uh, you know, I, I recently yeah, just I, it's I say recently it was bef just before covid uh, happened. But I, I was with a group of about 100 uh, banking professionals, uh, you know, rank and file people. They were, uh, you know, loan officers and so forth. And I asked them, how many of you know somebody who's of working age? Uh, who has left the state because there's been sometimes there's been talk that the people, yeah, we have people leaving the state, but they're elderly people looking for a uh, better climate or they're young people going away to college. And, you know, every single person's hand was raised when I asked the question, do you know a working age person who has left? Okay. Well, what is the reason for that? And the predominant reason that they indicated is our out of control property taxes, uh, the, the, the lack of, of, 
I'd say the dysfunction that there has been in Springfield over the past several years. And the fact that it, it seems that every time Springfield raises taxes, uh, we're told this is going to solve the state's fiscal problems. Two, three, four years later, the legislature is back claiming that they need to raise taxes again. And, and that is, um, I think, part of that has to do with the severely gerrymandered districts that we have in the state. Uh, I'd say nearly half of our of our members of the General Assembly, when they run for office, don't even have an opponent in the general election. And, you know, we need to get to a point in which we have fair districts, fair maps, where voters actually get to pick their politicians, or we actually have competition between the parties. And in doing that, I think that's how you get to better comedy, uh, better relationships in government, which is what makes government work well. Well, and I want to touch on some of the things you just touched on. Let's Let's talk about right remap while we're while we're here, um, sure. Because if, if anything, that's probably one of the most political of political fights that you can have uh, in a legislature because it's it's about survival for the people who are elected to those seats. How do you get something that's really fair? Um, and it, who picks the independent map makers? And that isn't that where the battle is. Well, so the the process that we're under right now is that the legislature has until June 30th to draw a map, and we're not going to get census data actually until mid-August. But my understanding is that the majority party has decided that they're going to go ahead and draw a map. They're going to use it, uh, draw it using sampling data, which is something from uh, it's from, from something called the American Community Survey data, which is a snapshot of less than one percent of the population, rather than counting every person as the census works to do. Uh, I find that to be very problematic uh, on a number of levels. And it, it, this, the only reason to pass a map under this environment is to maximize the opportunity for a partisan map, frankly. Uh, however, so there's another way. You know, we in the General Assembly, we in the Republican uh, Senate and House introduced legislation here, gosh, it's about three weeks ago, that copied the Democrat ideas for an independent drawing commission. There's been a couple of times that this has been proposed. Uh, last time in the House was in 2016, in which it passed 105 to 7, but then was never brought up in the Senate. It was introduced uh, in 2019 in the Senate as a constitutional amendment. Uh, we had 37 co-sponsors in the House, a supermajority of the Senate signed on to this process, which would have had uh, this the Supreme Court pick evenly balanced independent people some and and they had to be racially diverse gender diverse geographically diverse as well as from parties and it was to take this entirely out of the process of the general assembly so that you don't have politicians picking their own voters and unfortunately to date despite us putting this proposal forward the very same Democrats who have embraced the exact same idea in the past, exact same wording, we took their wording and introduced it, have decided to, uh, at least to date, endorse a different process, which is the, the standard process, right? Which is the legislature uh, deciding to draw a partisan map. I, I find that very disconcerting. I, I, I wonder, though, do you also get buy-in from Republicans, uh, because let's face it, when Republicans have had a majority, they've been the ones controlling the map being drawn. And so, I mean, it's it's a 
it's a weight that slides back and forth across the floor. Do you get people saying, yeah, we uh, we want it to be completely out of our hands? Well, uh, certainly we have that on both sides of the aisle. We have people who at least claim that publicly, including uh, including the governor, Governor Pritzker, during his uh, initial race for office. And, and he said he would not draw a map that was drawn by politicians or their allies. He said he would veto that map. He wouldn't sign it. Um, the governor seems to have walked that back to date. Uh, but but interestingly enough, I mean, you know, look back in 2016, 2015, actually, 600,000 people signed a petition for an independent map drawing process. Governor Pritzker gave $50,000 to that effort. Uh, this is something that he has claimed and stood for in the past. This is an opportunity for him to stand up and demonstrate that that wasn't just playing to voters for a future, uh, you know, trying to run for office, that he actually is committed to the process that he has given money to, to before and that he has supported. Um, are you, do you have some or do you feel uh, encouraged that in the past, uh, the current Speaker of the House has expressed uh, a willingness to see independent map as well. Well, not only has he done that, he co-sponsored the 2016 measure that I re responded to and voted for it. He was one of the 105 members who voted in favor of that. Uh, and so it, it is my hope that we can continue to pursue a process that 75% of the public say that they want and that you know uh, so many elected leaders that are here in the legislature today have supported in the past. Uh, let me ask you, because we talked about taxes, what can uh, the GOP lawmakers do as far as taxes are concerned, besides winning the battle over the, uh, the uh, graduated income tax? Uh, are there any other steps that are reasonable, that are accessible, I should say? You know, well, one of the things that I have done in the past is introduce my own constitutional amendment that would require a supermajority to raise taxes. Fifteen states across the country, including very, very uh, progressive states like California and Delaware, even Wisconsin, you know, next door to us, has a supermajority requirement to raise taxes. And what that does is it doesn't prohibit or limit the ability to raise taxes, but what it does is it guarantees that a broad swath of uh, your supporters. You have to have a broad swath of support in order to be able to raise taxes and forces the legislature to do the hard work necessary to make sure that that is really the issue of last resort. Look, there's a lot of uh, reforms on the table that we, people down here have championed on both sides of the aisle, whether it be pension reform, whether it be group health insurance, you know, Medicaid reform, uh, other th types of things that could help reduce the expenditures that are necessary in order to keep state government not only running, but also uh, efficient and uh, capable, you know, but uh, to date, it's been, it's unfortunately been easier to date to raise taxes than it has been to do that hard work that has so many special interests uh, lined up against them. I want to touch on one other issue that seems to come up, uh, although more often in the uh, in the House than uh, than the Senate. But uh, your uh, Republican counterpart in the House, Jim Durkin, has suggested ethics are a, a paramount issue as well. Uh, how how is that playing in the upper chamber? 
Well, we've had a real challenge here in Springfield in that, uh, you know, the, the new Senate president, uh, Don Harmon, introduced, uh, it created an ethics committee. That's only the thing that they do. And interestingly enough, while we, I think we have 20 or so bills that have been assigned to that committee, so far, the, we, the ethics committee hasn't even met. So this has been uh, a real challenge to kind of take the ethics reform issue seriously when there hasn't even been called a meeting of the ethics committee uh, in the entire time that we've been in session so far this spring. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Illinois Senate Republican Leader Dan McConkie. And uh, I do want to uh, turn to the topic of the year or the two years, I guess, and that would be COVID-19. Um, lawmakers had been wanting more involvement in responding to this uh, pandemic. Now that the legislature is meeting again, what more can and should be done? What are you going to be able to do? Well, a big thing that the governor needs to do is to reintroduce, uh, if you will, the legislature back into the governing process that uh, our, you know, our diverse government is supposed to do. You know, we have three branches of government. They're supposed to serve as a check and balance on each one. And the governor has, through everything having to do with COVID-19 for the past year, has essentially run the state on his own, right? He's used emergency order after emergency order. I think we're at nearly 80 now different emergency orders that he has done in exercising extraordinary powers. And these extraordinary powers should exist, okay? It, it, but they should exist for time-limited in uh, uh, kind of geographically limited types of things, right? So you have a flood, you have a have tornado, right? The governor should have extraordinary powers in those type of emergencies. However, what the governor has done in this case is completely box out the legislative branch from any sort of meaningful governance during this crisis. And I think it's been to his detriment. Look, very early on in the process, when he introduced mitigations to, uh, you know, help, uh, limit the spread of COVID-19, what he did was he would do things like allow, you, you could go to Walmart and buy clothing, you could go to Target and buy furniture, you could go to Jewel Osco, you know, and, and, and buy flowers, but your flower shops were forced to be closed, your, your clothing stores, your furniture stores were forced to be closed. Even if those stores, those small businesses were able to operate at the same efficacy and safety level as the big box stores was, you know, uh, the local lumber yard was forced to close and yet, you know, Home Depot could you know, be open. And this was very detrimental to small businesses, very detrimental to jobs. I think it caused our economic recession associated with the pandemic to be much worse than necessary. And had the governor sat down with the legislature and negotiated kind of the manner in which we could have, uh, mitigated and into how, how we were having things open and so forth, I think that he would have gotten a better result and frankly, better buy-in from the public across the state. Look, there were things in, in my district, I have a lot of lakes and uh, rivers. And so a lot of people have boats, you know, uh, and, and so the, the governor limited only two people could be in a boat. Yet I could have a family of six and everybody gets in their suburban to go to take the boat to the lake. But only two of us at a time are legally allowed to get in. I mean, these are the types of things that for the public simply didn't make sense. And so this is why uh, I, I think that the governor needs to have the legislature come back, 
uh, and, and work with us in order to have kind of you know, important discussions about how these mitigations, how the response needs to do going forward. You know, uh, we're going to get billions of dollars from the federal government. Uh, I think that there needs to be uh, a lot of care and concern done to ensure that that money is spent in the best way possible in order to help our economy and simply not end up with things that happen to be on a liberal wish list. I want to ask you uh, about Senate Bill 2140. This is your, uh, your bill. You propose shielding healthcare workers and businesses, among others, from liability because of uh, COVID-19 exposure. What is the problem that you are trying to solve here? So back during the height of the pandemic, we had weekly, sometimes daily guidance uh, from the CDC, from the FDA, from uh, IDPH, uh, the Illinois Department of Public Health, about how we were how businesses were supposed to function, mask mandates. You know what happens if you have a uh, a distiller? I had a distiller in my district who, you know, made rum and whiskey, and they switched over and started making hand sanitizer. They could follow the rules to the T that were issued at the time, and yet. Uh, later, if someone had gotten COVID-19, it's very possible uh, that they can be sued. Uh, if a school was open, right? We have, we've had times in which schools have gone back. Uh, if a child gets COVID-19, you know, they could be sued, right? Even if they were following the best guidance at the time. So what this would do is it's modeled after what bipartisan group of states across the country have been doing in order to ensure to make sure that local units of government, businesses, uh, school districts, you know, uh, your, all sorts of entities that if they were doing everything that the government told them to do in the way the government told them to do, then they would be protected from frivolous lawsuits. Remember, early in the pandemic, we did not have good information about what COVID-19 was, how it spread, what was going to be, you know, kind of the best mitigation efforts that we could. And public health officials, hospitals, doctors did the best they could in those environments, right? It's really important that our first responders, that the hospitals that put themselves on the line, those businesses that stop making you know, clothing in order to make masks or stop making rum in order to make hand sanitizer are protected from stepping up, for, for stepping up and doing what they could to help protect us. How do you separate that from businesses that aren't taking the proper precautions? Uh, and might say, well, we weren't, you know, we were confused by the by what was right and what was wrong. So uh, and, and you have people who flat out refuse to uh, to take precautions. Well, yeah. How does that how is that dealt with in your uh, proposal? My legislation would not affect those at all. If someone did not follow the guidance, uh, did, did was wanton in any way towards someone's health and safety, they are still exposed to liability. This tracks uh, very closely to what the governor actually did early in the pandemic, uh, back in months, April and June, the governor actually did uh, per extended this kind of liability protections. Um, for reasons I still don't, still don't understand, he rescinded that uh, starting in June or July of last year and didn't carry that forward. So this would essentially be taking the same thing that the governor was willing to do early in the pandemic and extend that for the period of time that we have continued to operate under this emergency. You uh, brought up the billions that the state is going to be getting in COVID relief aid. Uh, uh, just recently, Governor Pritzker and the Democratic leaders said that uh, seven and a half billion dollars of uh, of that aid should go to pay down debt 
boost infrastructure, job growth, education, and health. Do you have uh, any arguments or doubts about what they're saying? Uh, I don't have any arguments with that. I mean, I do think that should be our priorities. Uh, we do have to wait. The federal government is in the midst of drafting kind of rules and regulations around the way in which this money will be distributed. And that is something that we're going to have to uh, see kind of what the rules are that are attached to that. But as soon as that guidance comes down, which we expect it to be, you know, within probably the next couple of weeks, uh, I, I agree with where the governor has indicated he wants to go. Uh, the part of the problem is, is that we're in, a, in the middle of a budget process for this next year. And we're going to need to make sure that we don't end up um, kind of taking the windfall and, you know, seeing some bright, shiny object out there that you know, we'd like to fund instead, but can't find the money to do otherwise in order to take this. I mean, remember, this is one-time money. It's, it's kind of like a sugar rush. So we should make sure that it's only used in a manner that is uh, for one-time purposes and doesn't create long-term liabilities that uh, we, yeah, we're going to have trouble undoing later. Um, I want to ask if there have been, uh, have there been many meetings of what we who used to, uh, at least I used to cover the legislature uh, regularly call the four tops, the four legislative leaders and the governor? Have there been many of those yet? No, there has not. And uh, part of that, I think, has just been due to the COVID environment that we have down here. Um, the House just came back for the kind of first time in an in, a, um, in person basis this week. Otherwise, most things have been happening, you know, via Zoom or in some sort of hybrid process, which is, has been awkward for a lot of people to be able to, to uh, try to, to, you know, figure out and, and get to work. But I'm um, wondering if Speaker Madigan ever did a Zoom. <laughs> uh, I've never been on, I was never on one with him, that's for sure. Yeah, he used to take pride in not touching his computer or not, not having a computer for that matter. But, but ha now that all, all four of you are completely Zoom capable, I know that. <laughs> so you can meet. Uh, has there not been a, an urgent need? Um, there has not been a determination by the Senate or House leadership at this point of the need to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, in my time down here in the last five years, I've been here in the legislature, I've generally observed that most of those type of meetings tend to happen a little bit later in the session, you know, when, when we've got a, a little bit of a better picture in regards to uh, what kind of budget needs and such are kind of need to be discussed in, in the pipeline. And I do think that, that the COVID environment, as far as the impact, you know, uh, we, we're still looking at what kind of numbers are coming in. We're in, in regards to, to income tax receipts, you know, again, the federal money is coming through. I, I think that we need to get all of that info in. But as, as soon as we have all of that, it is my hope that, you know, we'll be able to really kind of get to work. I, I will comment, though, that, you know, over the past, you know, we talked about redistricting a little bit ago. Uh, over the past 40 years, um, it is uh, only once has the legislature actually drawn their own map and that was when uh, you had total Democrat control 10 years ago. Given that gave a majority Democrat, a, a, a Democratic majority in the legislature, a supermajority. And so there is a, I guess, an extent to which um, if, you know, you, the speaker and the Senate president can do things on their own if they so choose to. I don't think that's good for the benefit of the state. Um, I think that having things done on a bipartisan basis helps everyone around um, and helps get better policy, but um, that'll be up to them to decide.
Um, we've only got about a minute left, uh, but uh, are we going to see any legislation that deals with what well, I know we're seeing? You've got competing legislation dealing with guns. Are you expecting anything to actually pass this spring? Uh, I do think there is. You know, the state police has. Uh, so COVID has done a lot of things about showing what works and what doesn't in state government. And I think that the uh, the pandemic has created a circumstance. I think some of the unrest over the last year we've had. We, we have tens of thousands of new gun owners across the state or wannabe gun owners. Uh, the backlog of firearm owner identification card or FOID cards uh, has been substantial. The delays in, in renewals of those uh, and, and of concealed carry permits is substantial. The state police has put forward a proposal to try to reform some of the ways in which the FOID card and, and such, the, some of that process works to make it better for them, to make it better for the public, uh, to provide greater protections for the public, uh, to you know, uh, grease the wheels, if you will, for law-abiding gun owners. I think there will be a compromise that passes along that line. Uh, it looks to be shaping up to be in a very bipartisan fashion. And so that is something that I do expect to be coming uh, up here shortly, even maybe in the next week here in the Senate. Well, that's gonna be the last word. This uh, half hour has gone quite quickly. I would like to thank Illinois Senate Republican Leader Dan McConkie for spending the half hour with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on Odyssey.com. Yes, the company's name has changed. And yes, it, you need to hear me spell it. A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then. I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 